Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Filled with odd fright, see Jurassic right, live in ember light, see Jurassic right, see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, 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 see Jurassic right, see Jurassic right, see Jurassic Park. I mean, look, she needs no introduction. She's the Renaissance woman, uh, Renaissance being of light. Is that a good introduction? I like Renaissance being of light. I'm going to demand that. I'm putting that in my bio. It's Luce Tomlin Brenner. I miss you. It's so good to see you. I miss you, and it is good to see you. We're on Zoom, but we were just talking about how much better Zoom has got, so it is almost like we're <laughs> actually well, together. I know, and we, yeah, since we started these, this the annual uh, Halloween Sea Jurassic Right. Uh, I'm so glad that I feel like both of us this month was a little uh, bananas for us, which, you know, I think obviously you have it's always Halloween. So it's like a lot of pressure on this month. But I'm just glad that we're here today getting to yes. talk about talk um, about dinosaurs, the TV show. <laughs> I love this TV show so much. And when that theme song came on, I immediately started shaking my shoulders and waggling my butt. It's well, OK, I want to. So I've never covered, I've never talked about dinosaurs on Sea Jurassic, right? This TV show. Uh, That's unreal, but it's also such a fascinating TV show that is still sort of like a cult 
hit. Like it still doesn't get quite mainstream attention the way that like Muppets and Fraggle Rock and even Dark Crystal. Yeah, it's, it, it is very rewatching this episode, which it's, you know, this episode's a little bit different because it's a Halloween, excuse me, it's a Halloween episode, but um, it's just wild to me that this aired on like primetime TV. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting on TGIF. <laughs> and I was actually just talking on um, our, the episode of It's Always Halloween that's coming out on Halloween, which is when I assume maybe this one will also yes, be yeah, yeah. out on Halloween. So listen to this and then go listen to It's Always Halloween. And I was talking about TGIF and how much I loved TGIF growing up, but then especially at Halloween when it was like the last Friday before Halloween, the entire two-hour block was themed. And not just with like the TV shows, but the bumpers and all the commercials and all the like network advertising animations where you knew we were like settling into two hours of Halloween goodness and dinosaurs from like 91 to 95 was a part of that TGIF lineup. <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to have like a, you can't have not every uh, TGI, a TGIF show was about teens and that stuff, you know, uh, or cause what I mean, That's it true, was true, but they still managed to get two teen dinosaurs in. Yeah. And I was admiring today. I was like, are these dinosaurs all of the same dinosaur family? It got me like thinking about like yeah, dinosaur like, genes and like. Yeah, like what kind of dinosaurs they are. But also <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, right, you know, you have the radioactive Homer Simpson behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it just feels like the two kids are Bart and Lisa, you know. Exactly. I mean, not, but, it, but I mean, his hair being spiked is like, come on. Exactly. Exactly. That's what made me think about it. Cause I'm like, well, what type of dinosaur that's supposed to be his hair, but like, clearly that's like a specific thing that dinosaurs had on their heads. And then her, she has like more of the, she, it looks like she had more like cornrows, but that was also a different type of dino style as well. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I had to pull up a picture because I'm just like, I mean, I thought it was interesting the way that they use dinosaur features as stand in for hair. And then it just makes you think what it means about them as dinosaurs. Yeah. Cause like, uh, the, what's the daughter's name? Um, Mm, I forget uh, all of their names. Yeah. Charlene. Charlene. Yeah. Charlene, she looks like a triceratops. But then, like, yes. the dad almost feels like he could just be, like, a chunk T-Rex or something. <laughs> oh, wait. On the Wikipedia, it has their species. Ooh, okay. Wait, okay. they are all different. <laughs> I mean, this, uh, okay, this Earl, brings more questions than it brings answers. I know. The father, Earl, is a megalo- megalosaurus. And Fran is an allosaurus. Hell, yes. Because I was going to say, I thought that Robbie looked like an allo. Allosaurus. But here it says he's a hypsophodon. Hypsilophodon? There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Charlene is a protoceratops. And the baby is a megalosaurus. So how does this work? (laughs) This is like when people talk about the cars and cars and there's like a human battery inside there, like the Matrix and all this shit. Oh, I've never heard this conversation, oh, but that's really funny somebody, <laughs> because the cars have eyes and it's really disturbing. Well, yeah, like somebody has put, you know, those like great books we had as a kid, like cross sections and stuff. So somebody oh, does yeah. that for the cars and there's like a human in there, like their limbs <laughs> are like stuck out to the wheels and then their eyes are like 
pulled up and like stretched over. Like it's just like that's so scary. Spooky (laughs) Halloween. Seriously, that is a hellish nightmare. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what is your experience with the show? You were telling me a little bit beforehand because yeah, like. I, I mean, I don't have that much experience with the show. I think I watched it a little bit as a kid, but to be honest, they they terrified me. So I just didn't really oh, ever watch it that much. I was devoted to this show. So I watched TGIF from the moment I remember watching television when Full House was on. Full House started on TGIF yeah. before it went to Tuesdays at eight o'clock. And I, so that was like when Michelle was a baby until what is that the late 80s until boy meets world had its final season uh, which was like i want to say 2000 so, so i crazy i was very and i was just like every friday every friday and i definitely watched it like past you know because at that same time i'm also watching friends and seinfeld and frazier and even like sex in the city starts in 1998 and i'm watching wow. that and the sopranos with my parents well my dad would watch The Sopranos with me and my mom, but then Sex and the City would come on afterwards and he would stick around for like five minutes. And the first sex pun, my dad would go like, Jesus Christ, and like get up and walk out of the room. <laughs> that become part of your viewing experience. That- yeah, it really was. I have like a warm memory of that. So it's, I don't know, you know, being a tween is really a teen tween. It's it's interesting because you are between worlds in sort of a Halloween-y way. You're between the veil of like <laughs> adulthood and childhood. So I was watching like Boy Meets World and watching Sex in the City. So um I didn't miss TGIF for like 10 plus years. And Dinosaurs, when that hit, I was, it was like a revelation to me. <laughs> I was just like, what is this? Cause of course we've talked about, I've always loved dinosaurs since I was a little kid. And of course, you know, you love the Muppets, Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock. So having the Jim Henson characters be these like life sized dinosaurs was so exciting to me. And at that time, there was also a Saturday morning TV show version of Land of the Lost. Oh, okay. Was it and was it the Steve Gutenberg one? The li- or you mean like a cartoon? It wasn't a cartoon. Was oh, it yeah. Steve Gutenberg the early nineties? Or at least in my head, it's Steve Gutenberg. I can I can picture the the opening of the show where they <laughs> go into the cave and the, and the yeah the ugly like the station wagon is like and then like comes yeah down. the station wagon falls through yeah into the land of the lost <sighs> land of the lost yeah okay it's yeah crazy. I I had the for the longest time as a kid because I had my Jurassic Park toys but I had the playhouse like the. Um, the playset from the toys for Land so of the Lost. Cool. It was always fun of like this in my head, like the canon of like my Jurassic Park toys all together was that like, you know, maybe John Heyman built like a secret tree house on the island that was like a getaway spot that they could hide to. Like, you know, I love that childhood version of Jurassic Park that I would play with. I mean, that's the absolute best thing about having those types of play sets and action figures is being able to blend worlds and suddenly you are creating <laughs> your own crossover episodes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was um, thinking it's, it's it's I feel like as adults you I feel like I've learned from different people that like some people didn't want to mix their stuff and then other people like I was all about that. Like like Megatron was fighting with, you know, with the T-Rex against the humans, you know. I had a I had an aliens vehicle but I didn't have any alien figures like Xenomorph, like Ripley. I didn't have any of those. I just had like a vehicle that had like a noose on it uh, because you know, <laughs> it could get the Xenomorph neck. 
but then I would right. fit it around the dinosaurs and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Yeah. Well, and like my Ghostbusters action figures would walk through like my micro machine cities as like giants. <laughs> yeah. And then Barbies were like these even bigger characters. And I, I loved it. Like I found it to be very creatively inspiring to yes. like build new stories and worlds. And it's interesting to connect the Land of the Lost TV show with dinosaurs because Land of the Lost also started in 1991. Oh, wow. And only and only lasted until 92, which is so funny because, you know, my little kid brain is like, I watched that my whole childhood, but <laughs> it like a, a, like went right into syndication. So I must have just been watching it yeah. over and over for years. Um, but yeah, so the original series was from 74 to 76. And then this was a remake that was done in 91. And then it was on Nickelodeon and syndication through 97. Wow. So yeah, it's really funny that those two happened at the same time. And I think that really lit up my imagination as a kid and like contributed to my passion for dinosaurs because then when is Jurassic Park? 93. Yeah. Yeah, well, so it's I, I, living in the same time period. Well, and that's the thing that I thought because again, like I like in doing this, and you're suggesting you do it was so I like this this episode was so fun, it, but it was a thing of like oh, like the context for this show has to be so interesting because I don't know, it's just like it's giant, like probably or it seems taller than human dinosaurs are like doing a family sitcom, you know, and I'm just like how did this happen? And then I didn't, I didn't realize it was Jim Henson, I think until I was older, but I just wanted to read this. Cause I just, the, the, or the origins and development uh, thing on the Wikipedia to me, like sums up or at least like why this is so interesting. Um, like at the time of the show's premiere, it was highlighted to dinosaurs connection, to Jim Henson who had died the year before. So like, that's already like an interesting, like element writing on this show is like, Oh my God, the death of this, great you know creator and this is like the last thing that he was like you know or at least written in the way that the stories have been written about it um and then also a great point yeah so i'm sure that trajectory was really successful you know people wanting to be like oh this is the last thing he had a hand in yes yes and then also the idea we just we mentioned earlier the simpsons I guess the president of the henson organization didn't like again in this sort of apocryphal kind of way is just like Basically, like the idea of this sh- dinosaurs seemed absurd until the success of The Simpsons, which was only, you know, a couple years. I mean, I think there's only been like two, re- yeah, yeah, two, two seasons of The Simpsons or three by the time this comes out. It's just like, and that's then, fascinating. Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't know any of this contextual stuff because, again, for me as a kid, like I don't know the dinosaurs. They just seem so off-putting to me, like in that kind of way where, like, we are kind of scared but entranced by ET a little bit. Definitely. Well, they have the uncanny valley because of their eyes. They have yeah. human eyes. Yeah. <laughs> right. We know dinosaurs a lot of times have the on either sides of their head, and are you know reptilian yeah. or uh, you know bird-like, and these are like big googly eyeballs with the. You know, they look exactly like human eyes. So I think there is an oddness and they're dressed in clothes and they're walking around on their <laughs> hind legs. Like, yeah. And then I just the, the one other thing I thought was interesting about this um, in terms of larger context, because I, uh, uh, it's on Disney Plus and I didn't realize that um, like this was around the time when uh, ABC was acquired by Walt Disney. So it's like, 
it feels like this is the era of when all the stuff starts to converge into one, you know, like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Obviously stuff like that had been happening before, but like I can, I can. Disney, Disney also owns Henson now too. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just one of those things where like this show must've looked so amazing back when it first came out. I mean, it still looks amazing, but it's just like the production value of this. This is like game of Thrones, you know, like. Absolutely. (laughs) For a network television show also. And when you think about all the sets and we can get into it when we talk about this episode, like it's not like they're just staying in the family home. There's multiple sets. Yeah. This isn't like a one room. No, it's a huge world that they flesh out. And it's not just like, Oh, we can use the same staircase from all in the family. It's like you have, you're building a prehistoric world and there's a lot of jungles and a lot of like brand new creatures that are built. I, I mean, this must have been one of the most expensive shows on TV at yeah, the time. Yeah, I, I, I don't see a budget for this. I'm sure if it looked deeper. But, like, as a kid, did you think that, like, in my head, even watching it now, I'm like, are those are those people in suits or are those literally all puppets? Like, I, I honestly, Oh, I think I always thought it was people in suits. But wait, but actually, is it puppets? Or is it people? Like, I don't even, like, I can't even, I, now that I'm, like, sitting here, I'm like, wait, like, are those suits or are those puppets? <laughs> what well, I, th- I thought the big ones were that is a really great <laughs> it's funny i mean really it just shows point. the testament of how good it is where it's like you know i it, they do have kind of like jim hensony like muppety like you know in terms of like playing towards the camera and stuff but then also i mean it it makes sense that they would be people in suits uh, but now I'm like very funny. I'm like, oh, I have to get a definitive answer for this. Otherwise, it's going to drive me crazy. Are the TV <laughs> dinosaurs in suits or puppets? I bet you there's people screaming at me right now. But uh, I would love to meet any dinosaur experts out there who know the answer to this off the top of their head. I feel like this is still very much a cult TV show. <laughs> are, the, are dinosaurs costumes or puppets? <laughs> I like this. Well, there's like a news Yahoo thing that says these days, the same characters would probably be rendered with CGI. Uh, I just really like the, the attitude and the answer there. Um, they're, they're full puppets. They're full animatronic puppets. That's crazy. I mean, it, what? You know, there's not people inside of them. No, This is, but it's blowing both of our minds right now. I am. My mind is blown. Cause I don't understand how that was possibly done. Well, I think because, I mean, I, at least in the episode that we're watching today, Little Boo Boy, like the scenes where it's full body seem more. I remember when like he's running, you know, like mm-hmm. that stuff seems kind of like, like not fake, but just you can kind of see the seams a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like when they're in the house, it does just seem like those are people. Yeah, because I mean, I, and I wonder if that was also the magic of the show, because it feels like it really pulls from so many tropes of other TGIF shows, other sitcoms. And it's like, I wonder if the creators of this were like, we really just got to nail the vibe of like, you know, uh, uh, um, what is it? What's the, um, what's the guy, Paul Blart? What's his name? Oh, Kevin James. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is like, but it's like in that same vein of like, you know, uh, uh, hot wife, uh, yeah, grumpy, schlubby dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool teen boy, nerdy daughter. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it it's very Simpsons-like, except for that I think uh, Fran, the mom, is like a little less put upon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the baby is like such a huge focus. I forgot about how so much slapstick had to do with like the baby being sassy. Yeah, and this was a very baby-heavy episode, including it, the music video at the end, which... Uh, 
that music video is at the end of like every tape because oh, my really? my other VHS tapes of dinosaurs have that music video on it. Well, yeah. that's what I was wondering because I was like, like, was that just put on like you know when they're putting these things back up online or whatever? That's yeah, funny that they it's just a were bonus. Like, like we're just gonna have this at the end of every episode, you know, like. Really, love, it's like Baby Yoda, you know. Really, sell that yeah, uh, baby dinosaur merch, you know. And the MTV, I mean, what's the guy that they get to be? Um, oh my gosh, he's like exactly like Ken Ken Loder. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like a perfect dinosaurian <laughs> Ken Loder, Better. and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like so perfect. But yeah, I mean, let's just get into the episode. It's called Little Little Boy Blue. I mean, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I, you know what I realized now, like growing up, is that Treehouse of Horror truly was like a quintessential uh, Halloween thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is funny where when they do Halloween episodes of shows, and I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast, but it's just like because anything can happen in a Halloween episode, they have to like frame it in like we're telling a story or, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. How did you how did you like that as compared to like other shows that do that? Yeah, so I actually really liked that a lot. I found that was the most charming aspect of this episode and what made it to me like a quintessential Halloween episode was that it employed the usage of storytelling and urban legends and mapped it over what would a dinosaur urban legend be, which (laughs) is terrific. Yes, exactly. So the idea is that the whole family is going off to Charlene's Halloween. Well, it's not Halloween. Historic times, which is important for later. Um, but she has a play. It's Halloween night. Technically, it's October 31st and Robbie doesn't want to go. So he volunteers to babysit the baby and he, the baby is, uh, you know, a pain. He's always eating cookies. He's always complaining. And so Robbie basically threatens him with a ghost story and an urban legend about the where caveman. And it's a story he tells as if it happened to him and his girlfriend. And the way it ends up wrapping up is that he's able to be like, and the only way I cannot be aware caveman now, because Robbie gets bitten in the story, is if I eat little baby toes. <laughs> Not me. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was a perfect uh, baby impersonation, Stephen. <laughs> I've been practicing. So uh. good. Um, well, So I really love that because that's like exactly, you know, in October, our Patreon theme was scary stories to tell in the dark. And we read them for our book club. Uh, And yeah, it's fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's the best. (laughs) So we read them and we, you know, we watched the uh, we watched and discussed the adaptation, the Guillermo del Toro adaptation. And we talked a lot about urban legends and, you know, campfire storytelling is so important to Halloween and storytelling in general is how we get a lot of the myths and the legends that make up the icons of Halloween, the decor that we surround ourselves with, the costumes we dress in. So I really loved utilizing this format of storytelling because, yes, the episode is scary, you know, like it's a yeah, creepy yeah. episode. And it is themed on Halloween Day. But the way that it utilizes a Halloween tradition, I thought, is really what actually took it to the next level as a Halloween episode of television. I I mean, yeah, I completely agree. And yeah, like to your point, like it was just hitting me of like, yeah, because certain Halloween stuff, it just uses that as a framing to like kill the main characters. And it's like it's all pretend or whatever. But this is yeah. this completed the circuit because there's nothing scarier than telling a story and then you realize it's 
still happening. Like that's such a great dramatic technique, you know? Yes. Yes. Is that it's not a story. It's actually real. And it happened to me and you're a part of it now. Like that's a big part. Yeah. That's a big part of the scary stories to tell in the dark. In fact, the very first one starts off with a chapter where it instructs you how to read the story and how to scare the people you're telling it to. They're all jump scares. And It'll, it, you know, it'll have the story and then there'll be italics at the end that it's like, at this point, jump at the person sitting next to you and scream. <laughs> and I hadn't remembered that until I reread them for a book club. And it really, it made me giggle. It, it gave me the sense of like childhood glee. And I really appreciated how it platformed the performance aspect of storytelling and how it can be a group activity and it's not like you're just reading alone, which, you know, reading alone is pleasant, but we're in a society now where there's so much siloed time. Yeah. We're in, we're at home a lot. We're still dealing with the pandemic. So to kind of reframe storytelling as a group activity and as something that you can do to have fun, but also create scares and create an atmosphere. I just think that's really, um, it's really beautiful. It's really meaningful. It's also a way you can celebrate it freely. You yeah. know, it's not an expensive, it's like not a $200 haunted house yeah. or <laughs> yeah. a costume party or a bar you have to spend a bunch of money to go to. Like you can have a bunch of people over and tell a scary story. <laughs> and I thought that this show, even though they're dinosaurs, it really captured what's so fun about trying to scare somebody else yeah. and trying to like trick someone and convince somebody that like an urban legend is real. You know, we all have those gullible friends who would believe <laughs> an urban legend really happened to somebody. I was that gullible friend as a kid. I was like, really? Your, your sister had a hook hand in her car? <laughs> well, I just saw that Drew Barrymore thought E.T. was real when she was a little kid. And I just like, I know, that's the it's best. so sweet. <laughs> But also one thing I really like you you just reminded me as far as like those uh, appeals and those like homaging or what you know paying reverence to the to the idea of storytelling in, in Halloween especially is like are you scared and, he, and the baby's like no and he's like good because now it's gonna get really scary and you're just like yes this is awesome like this is such good writing like Stephen I really loved that part too that made me laugh because I was like oh that's such a like what a slice of teen life and that is so much what people would say is like how to egg each other on um and i really loved the puppetry with the baby because he's so bratty for the first half of the episode and i mean it's a pretty big puppet but they can really do a lot with his eyes and his mouth and the way that they made him gets more and more scared i thought was really charming yeah he's just like like shaking, yeah, shaking. Quivering. Yeah, yeah. I know there's something about the way Muppets quiver that is just like so cute. <laughs> well, it's just it's just you got to imagine the person underneath or or whatever. It's just like you, know, you can't <laughs> yeah. see it. We're podcasting, but are you, are you, yeah, for just like moving your hands back and forth like so quickly, but it yeah. does create like this. Um, it's a quiver you see with the Kermit and Miss Piggy and in Sesame Street. It's like this very specific way they must learn how to make puppets shake. Yeah, Jim Henson was like, think if you're, or Frank Oz is like, think about your shaking maracas, you know, but you're shaking maracas in a coffin. That's how you get the quiver. 
<laughs> well, and, you know, speaking of scary storytelling, um, so this episode is called Little Boy Boo, yeah. which is a, a, you know, play on words of the nursery rhyme, Little Boy yeah. Blue. But there's also an urban legend called uh, Blue Baby Blue or Little Boy Blue. Do you know about this no, I don't know urban this. legend? No. So... I have heard about it. I heard about it through a This American Life episode from the late 90s that was about summer camp. And I had a bunch of uh, boys at the summer camp playing Little Boy Blue. And I totally forgot about it. And on our book club discussion meeting last week, uh, we were talking about different urban legends. And we, you know, we talked about Bloody Mary and Candyman. And so then one of uh, my listeners brought up this one, which is similar, which is that you put your arms like you're holding a baby like you're cradling your arms and you look in the mirror and say uh blue baby blue or little baby blue there's you know it's regional yeah, yeah. um three times and then you're supposed to be able to feel the like dead <gasps> baby in your Ooh, in your arms i don't like that little boy pop you know because they say pop instead of soda oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um that's so creepy Ooh, i don't I know it's very it sounds disturbing. familiar, but I I definitely don't. don't when, did you do that when you were a kid? No, I had never heard of that. I had only heard about it from This American Life, and then uh, this listener, a friend of mine oh, yeah, in yeah. Chicago, told me about it, and they did it growing up. Um, the This American Life episode's great because it's the uh, I don't remember which journalist is there with them. They go into the bathroom with this group of boys doing it, so you get to hear the boys actively being like, "I can feel the baby. I'm oh, holding no. the baby." Just the way that like kids do, yeah, you know, to scare each other. And some kids would be like, "Oh, it wasn't real. Nothing happened." And then other kids are just so committed, and they like will not let the they won't they won't like drop the guys and i love that Ooh. i love the way kids are like you know what i'm going to continue this legend because it's more fun to be scared than for it to be real just to tie it back to your to little boy blue kind of like how the boys were. Yeah. Just it's the like shared madness kind of thing of like buying into stories and stuff. What I thought was so interesting was like how in this episode, they play really well with whether or not, you know, what each of the, which uh, Robbie and the baby know who's being tricked and who's being tricked at each moment. And yes, that's such a good point. And how when the baby's hanging on the ceiling, like I definitely thought that he really believed like like that Robbie went too far, which I think is probably also a thing you've seen in Halloween stories of like you scared people too much kind of thing. And so it's like, but then yeah, I'm like you ruined he, the fun, yeah. right? There's always that time at the sleepover that's gone too far. Everyone's having a great time with the Ouija board, but then some aspect of it gets too scary. A girl starts crying. Half the party goes to comfort her. The other half of the party is pissed that that girl's annoying. And yeah, there's always like, there's a fever point in any type of scary situation when you're growing up, I think. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where it's hard to just not push and push and push, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Because yeah. you're like, how far can we take this? How scary can you make it? And... I did. I was tricked in this episode too. I was like, oh my God, he actually scared the baby. And then we find out that the baby was also just playing along so that the baby could have more cookies. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, as far as like the show being a big budget TV show and all that stuff. But like recently, She Hulk had a funny meta moment of, I mean, ultimately, we all know everyone's underpaid and overworked. So stop complaining about CGI, stop complaining about whatever. Uh, like just pay people, just give people more time. That's all. But so when they do the where caveman transformation, it's like, you see the one arm. I feel like, I feel like it goes in like little steps that I've probably felt made it easier for them. Yeah, uh, definitely. Was an interesting choice as, too, as far as that goes, like as far as like werewolf style transformations, how did that rate for you? Um, You know, it, I will say that while I think it had, such great Halloween tenor from beginning to end. I wouldn't say any episode, any aspect of the episode was scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think even for a kid, you well, know, I, like. Yeah, well, I mean, to your point, because, you know, in terms of like this show, you know, and again, this is the first episode I've watched in a while. But I mean, just even reading about how this show did all the classic TGIF stuff of like issue episodes and stuff of the week and. I was dealing with the climate before, you know, climate crisis uh, tenor that we're at now. I mean, they were talking about this 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, which is really incredible. Something. And but in this episode, at some point when they get um, when they get the dad uh, or when they get Earl back involved, Earl. where he's yeah. like, let's create a mob and think that's the thing that we fear the most or whatever. So it's like there's a, <laughs> there's a meta layer of humor there that I think, to your point, yeah, it keeps it from ever being too scary you know but uh i think very self-aware yeah i i I thought that commentary was very fun because it's just like yeah how do you because again we're you know even just at the beginning of like what like you know obviously because humans and dinosaurs never existed so if you're already creating this highly fictionalized world i think the idea of like making them well they're not even scared of a regular human they're scared of a were human you know Yes, I know. I really like that idea, too. Like, what's the worst thing you can turn into the scariest thing? A caveman. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I thought that was really funny. And I really liked that. Yeah, if you're going to suspend your disbelief and be like, okay, humans, cavemen and dinosaurs live at the same time period. Yeah. (laughs) All these different species of dinosaurs in one family. Um, It. I do think it's a really great map over because, of course, they wouldn't be scared of wolves because dinosaurs could probably eat wolves if those were around. Right. Mm -hmm. But cavemen would be a threat to dinosaurs. And I do. So I did think that was really fun. And I liked 
the transformation, just the way they described it too. Like he's like, I had hair coming out of everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hair just like obviously being such a major point of werewolf lore and even, you know, humans having hair grow in places that it doesn't in that transformation is a big part of what makes it scary. So I thought they did a good job of picking something that was kind of analogous to a wolf for dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, and also to the, to the, to the point of the episode, I mean, again, like we forget like how breakneck speed the, the pacing of shows that where they're 22 minutes, where it's just like, yeah. you know, the moment he's told about also the silver club, I was like, what is this? Oh, caveman club. I get club, it. Like yeah. Instead silver. of a silver bullet, the only way to transform back is with a silver club and he doesn't have any silver clubs. So he tries hitting himself with like a ladle, <laughs> yeah, which is just really great slapstick. That's what I thought the show balanced the best. Like it definitely felt younger than I remembered it feeling. And I think I said this, this was off air earlier, but I watched it in syndication. I watched it over and over and over when I was a kid. And then in college, a friend of mine, like got it all on Napster and then we'd like get <laughs> stoned and watch it in college. And I was like, I love this show. And I don't think I've, you know, watched it for over 10 years at this point. And I was surprised about how much younger it was. And in my mind, it felt a little more adult. But that being said, the writing, like you said, is so good where it was like it got the Halloween atmosphere. It mapped over dinosaur, uh, dinosaur world over human world in an interesting way. And it really had some fun social like messaging in it. Yeah. And it moves between slapstick and horror and Halloween kind of traditional celebration nods and the fact that like everything is also has to be mapped to be dinosaur world. Yeah, like it yeah, switches it's a, between all of those things really seamlessly and really quickly. Yeah. Like it's, it's deft. Yeah. No. And again, tight 22. Cause I mean, it's I, or like, it might even be, it might, it might even feel less than that because there's a three minute music video at that, you know, like that's not related to the right. episode at all. So it's just like, um, but, but, and then, you know, as we circle back around to the ending where it's like cookies, candy put in a bag and then it all like the the way that it like you know you're and then they're like well if i if i the store's closed like the the it's the bargaining between the baby and robbie of like well like to try and calm him down again because he's he's so scared that it's like oh shoot now i have to bribe him so and that's another like trope i feel like from that or of like those kind of shows where it's like the older brother, older sister now has to like appease a younger one because they don't want, they don't want to get in trouble from their parents. They don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And then utilizing all of that to essentially invent trick or treat. Yes. <laughs> by the end of the episode, when it got to that point in the episode, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is all a setup for how Halloween was created. Yeah. And I just loved that so much. So yeah, the idea is that like, there's no, there's no cookies left in the household. So he's like, I'll get you candy, but there's no candy. He's like, I'll go to the store. But this, I love that line made me laugh the hardest is Robbie. Yeah. Robbie's like, I'll get it to you for the store. <laughs> the fact that the baby knows the store is closed. I don't know. It just really made yeah, me laugh. Yeah. No, that because, because he's all like hanging from the, the stalactite. No, stalactite. Yeah. yeah stalactite. No, stalactite. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes from scared again with this trick, 
who's being tricked, who's, who's the trickster. Like, but then he's just very like matter of fact of like stores closed. Like, it's <laughs> like, what? Yes, exactly. He breaks character from being scared to being like a little brat again. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was so funny. So he's like, okay, well we'll go next door to the neighbors to see if they have candy. And they like bring a paper bag with them and they ask the next door neighbor and the next door neighbor says, how dare you come to me on October 31st? Asking for candy. <laughs> and so he doesn't, they get the door slammed in their face. And then Robbie's like, oh, next time we should come in costumes so they don't know who we are. And it's just like so cute and like not at all the origin story of trick or treating, of yeah. course, but. But along with like urban legends, which get passed down and changed over time to reflect the region that you live in or whatever society's moral panics are at the time to sort of twist that and be like, okay, well, this is the origin of Halloween in a world where dinosaurs and cavemen (laughs) live together. And and I just thought the idea of like dinosaurs also inventing Halloween was really, really funny and cute. And just like, you know, as it is now. We can trace the origins back over 2000 years, but how fun would it be if it was um, <laughs> like a million years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 60 million years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, and, 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 and you know, this, this feels like a thing people say a lot nowadays when stuff is just better than it needs to be. Like this episode went hard because mm-hmm. I think even without that ending, I mean, I don't know what the ending would be if it isn't a setup to create Halloween, but I felt like the rest of it, you know, through the through the twist and taking the frame story to present day and do, playing with all that was already like great. It was very um, Halloweeny. Yeah, and then exactly. The like they- as a scary story episode, I thought it worked really strong. And then yeah, melding in the origins of Trick or Treat with yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, they were really doing a lot. I thought it was a very impressive episode. Yeah, it was really cool. I I'm I'm so glad you suggested this because yeah, I just you know again it's for as a kid it just this stuff it just seems so off-putting to me that it like uh, i guess it just made me not apprehensive to reapproach it but it was just you know it's just if i feel like this is this almost was like a perfect episode to dive back into and then i feel like i want to go and you know watch the oh rest good of the watch the rest of it the ending is super sad and something <laughs> i learned recently is that their last name is the st Clairs. They're named the after the St. Clair gas station. No. Who uses the dinosaur logo. No. <laughs> and it really just kind of wraps around that whole like environmental uh, basic storyline that's kind of running underneath the, the series the entire time. Wow. Yeah. The, yeah. I think because, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's the thing I think, you know, when we think about. Uh, this this got just very general, but it's, you know, when we think about things that we like, we were talking about horror earlier of this idea of like serious horror where it's like grief is the spookiest creature of all. And it's like, or like, <laughs> right. no, I just want to watch monsters. And so yeah. I think, you know, I think as an adult, uh, I guess I just didn't, I think I just didn't realize how interesting this show, or at least just from reading more context, I'm like, oh, Like, maybe this isn't, like, top-tier dinosaur content, but, like, it could just be a great show, you know, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it really speaks to a time period, and this is a lot to Jim Henson's credit as well, but a time period when we really valued quality television for families and children. And the idea was that we need them to, if we want to raise smart, interesting people, 
that we need the, to start them with educational, clever cultural goods, you know, and we have now seemingly tossed that aside <laughs> and anything that's dumb and colorful is appropriate for children. And it just makes me sick to my stomach. Like I really, really hated Hocus Pocus too. It made oh, me no. like, it made me viscerally angry and also just like, like in my body, just disgruntled for days. Like I was just so upset because it's such a mindless cash grab. And it, it, it really just made me feel like Disney was specifically looking at me and being like, I think you're a fucking idiot and you'll pay for anything. And I just, it just like broke my heart watching it because I was like, and I, and I see people online being like, Hey, what do you expect? It's four kids or like the other one wasn't that good either. It's just you were a kid and it's just. Not true. As a comedy writer and a screenwriter, like you look at the Hocus Pocus script and it is a tight, funny, clever script that like weaves in some interesting folklore and creates a world in Salem that's different. Um, you know, that, that kind of makes the Salem witch trials be something that's a little more approachable for children to like talk about, yeah, yeah. get into. And then the second one is just mindless callbacks and like, uh, just really bad, bad writing. Some really good performances. People were trying their hardest. Sarah Jessica Parker was so funny and uh, Tony Hale was so funny and Sam Richardson were so funny, but it was like jokes that didn't ever add up to anything. Absolutely no plot. It was just wink, 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 wink. <laughs> remember this? Remember this? Remember this? And I'm like, God, I could just be talking with my friends about Hocus Pocus and it would be more entertaining than watching this movie. <laughs> and it just, it just makes me so mad that when we see something stupid, instead of thinking this is too dumb for children, we think this is perfect for children yeah. because children are dumb and children are not dumb. Children are so curious and they're really just so they're little sponges. They're soaking up the yeah, entire yeah. world, you know, and they want to know everything. If you spend any time with kids, it's questions, questions, questions. Mm -hmm. They want to learn. And whatever you're giving to them, they're soaking up. You soak up more in the first 25 years of life than any other time in your life. Yeah. After that, you're, you know, forgetting everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to your, I was going to say just to your point, you know, in, in how everything in order to be created has to be related to a previous IP and stuff. You know, I think there there is times where we want to, you know, I, I think creators like are like, well, I'm going to make this thing. So I'm going to make it good or subvert expectations and really add to the experience. Because, I because again, like you're saying, like sequels, like aren't you inherently have to. It's already like, what is what is the right phrase? Um, when you're like suspending disbelief already. But then mm -hmm. I think sometimes what I'm realizing now is that. Sometimes when the subverted, you know, I mean, ugh, everything always has to go back to the last Jedi, but like, you know, it's like, like certain people get, <laughs> certain, but it's like, you know, like, it's just this, I, I'm wondering if Hocus Pocus 2 is like a, a symptomatic of like, when it's like, yeah, they just want to feed you the, the same, you know, fast food or, yeah, yeah. So it's like this, this, like, we're, we're now in an era where we are seeing things being brought back and are subverting expectations and really good. And then other times it's like, no, I'm too scared to do anything new with this. Like, you know, exactly. And I don't think that I don't believe in, in that sequels or reboots or uh, adaptations, new adaptation, new adaptations <laughs> are inherently dinosaur. Yes, get them dinosaur titties out. Um, <laughs> shake them like you're going extinct. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> so sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh so God, like, I don't, 
I don't think that like any retelling of anything is inherently bad because that's the that's storytelling. We've been talking about this all episode. Uh, Part of storytelling is reimagining stories that have already been told before. But when you get giant corporations involved and not artists, there is going to be a trend towards wanting to make money. And the way that you do that, as you've been saying, is like less effort, less time, less money pump it out and nothing yeah. is good like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you see it with people who are trying to make reels every day. It's like, you put the phone down. You, you can't make an interesting <laughs> video every day. You can't, no. you got to rest. You got to have time to see the world, to create things, to soak up art and music and culture and, 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 and process all of them to process things. You can't make things every single day. That's wrong headed. So yeah, yeah. I'm like way off, but coming back to Jim Henson, I mean, this is somebody who, had a style, had a um, uh, an area that he liked to explore, right? But instead yeah. of making like, he made different versions of something where he, it was still all kind of in his world, like Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock, Muppets, Sesame Street, Dinosaurs. They all kind of lived around each other. He kept rehashing kind of the same thing, but in a new way. Yeah. And then that's what we could see more of instead of just the same IPs over and over. Like, yeah. what if you just like, shift slightly you know you can just pivot a little bit and still do something new within a world that you're interested in i mean wes anderson makes new films about fathers every single year (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) yeah they might as well say that they're all related and then they could be like the wes anderson universe at that point you know but you don't need to you don't need to but yeah exactly yeah you don't you don't need to but like you can make things for young people that are really smart and are really interesting without it being like, and there's a Justin Timberlake song and there's a little sex joke for the parents. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it's all pop culture references. Like I don't, people aren't that stupid. And I think what's nice about dinosaurs is that it's a smart show, but there are some childish slapsticky jokes in it, but it, they're not, it's not stupid. It's for yeah, a yeah. developing sense of humor. It's for a developing brain. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it also is to the, again, like if you're going to do an episode where it features the baby prominently, it is, it is going to have a little bit of a more, um, you know, in terms of some children's shows, having lessons learned of like, you know, that kind of stuff. The form fits the function in that way as well, too. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Because all of those TV shows like TGIF did always have like a lesson in like every episode. And I believe... This was the only Halloween episode, right? Yeah, which is crazy that the show was on for like four years and they just did one. I mean, I'm sure that this must have no, been... That sounds, that sounds Again, better. for this expensive show, because this almost felt... I mean, actually, it wasn't a bottle episode. It just was a smaller character episode. But, I mean, what other thing... Like, I'm. it almost makes me bummed that they didn't get a chance to do more mm-hmm. Halloween stuff with these characters, or like this show, you know? Yeah, definitely, because I think yeah, that yeah. they are inherently kind of scary because they're dinosaurs and they're dealing with survival and they're dealing with these like prehistoric creatures. So there's a lot of stuff in there that's fun. And in general, any show that maps over our own human reality, I think is fun. I mean, that's what makes, uh, you know, I my background's at uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Improv Theater. And that's part of the their style of gameplay at UCB yeah. is learning how to make scenes fun by mapping over what we already know. So it's like, oh, 
what is like uh, your two people in space, but like you're you're arguing like your teen girls. Well, like, I, I how is s- it that teen girls do a thing? You know, that's a really bad example. But like <laughs> the idea of like mapping over one reality with another reality is like inherently funny and entertaining to people. And dinosaurs did that for the entire run. And I think that's what made it really fun. Well, and you just got me thinking, what if I could, because of the era this show happened in, I could totally see them doing some play on like candy and razor blades kind of episode. Yes. Maybe it's like, I don't know, some type of bone or, or like something, you know what I mean? Like I could see them doing something with that. I mean, the like you said, there's no costumes and it's like, oh, we like, it would have been funny to see these characters in costumes, maybe like pop culture references at the time sort of thing. Yes. Like, like what I mean, are the show lasted through Jurassic park? What if they, I mean, there could have Halloween episode oh could have been going to like a human park, you know, or, you know what I mean? Like you could see like so many good Halloween stories <laughs> in that, in that show. And also yes. talk about issues and play with the form of those kinds of shows at the time too, as well. You do present a really fun idea, which is like, what if the cinema that they see is like their horror movies are just like stories about people? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, this has been it's been so nice to actually catch up a little bit. And just again, like I feel like when we talk, it's like we it's like we're always like finding all these little threads that extend outwards. And I'm I really want to watch the show now. So I feel like we should. Oh, good. Watch some more together. Yeah. I mean, I would love to come on and talk about future episodes, even non scary (laughs) episodes. Um, because I really do, I am really passionate about this show and Jim Henson's work in general. And I think it continues, I think it's really timeless. One of the things that's nice about not having a pop culture heavy, um, a show that relies on pop culture references means that it becomes timeless, you know? So even though this does have a similar vibe to The Simpsons, it, still watching it the humor so much of the humor is physical and like we said mapping over what we know about the world that we already live in so i think it's like a very i think it's like a very fun show to watch and it's something that i think kids could get into now especially if it's on disney plus i'm really curious to know if like a new generation is finding it i know yeah because i felt like like you said you rediscovered it through napster like yeah i don't yeah and maybe that's probably why i didn't rewatch it at any point up until now because it wasn't easily available probably yeah i mean i have like my vhs tapes of it too (laughs) so good well thank you so much to say this has been so much fun i'm so glad we got to catch up a little bit yes thank you for having me i really look forward to doing these halloween episodes with you every year so people have not listened to all of them we have like a stockpile of halloween themed (laughs) episodes that we've done yeah i'll I'll put a link to the other ones in, in this episode so people can go back Yay. Well, and you know, you were the first person other than my partner, Isaac, that I talked to about It's Always Halloween when it was in its infancy idea phase, maybe four or five years ago. I mean, years ago. Yeah. And it wasn't until the pandemic that I had the time and money to actually be able to work on it. But I just want to thank you for inspiring me so much always and being like such a huge supporter of everything that I do. And like, I knowing that you you know, and all of your infinite podcast wisdom thought that it would be a good idea and then gave me so much great advice. And then, you know, the hotline on Sea Jurassic Right, those episodes I always thought were so fun, especially when the new Jurassic movies would come out and people yeah, yeah. would call in and talk about what they liked about them. I love listening to those episodes. And that's what inspired me to have 
the All Hallows hotline. And it's always Halloween. It's just fun. It's so fun to hear from people and people because ultimately, like, I think, and I'm sure you've discovered this through through doing It's Always Halloween, that it's like everybody's traditions or or experiences are so slightly different. And then it's just so cool to see that web of it all kind of like, what is the uh, the t-shirt quilt of like a thing that we like, basically? Yes. Uh, t-shirt quilt. I love that. And web, the perfect Halloween uh, <laughs> descriptor. It is like a web. And, you know, now we have over 7,000 listeners and they're all over the world. So I love that. On the, on the Big Frights episode that's coming out today, we... Uh, you know, we have calls from England and Canada and oh like God, that's so wonderful. Kansas and New York and Los Angeles. And just to see that connection of all of us being like, hey, look, we are all celebrating together. And so much of the time the world feels so scary. And like we keep hearing this messages over and over and over that we're divided, we're divided, we're divided. And I don't think I think that that's a line that we're being fed. I don't necessarily think that that's true. And I think what we need to do is work to find these ways in which we're connected. And I found working on this podcast the last two years to be, to me, makes me see the world in a really positive way. And also makes me feel really hopeful because people are, people are community oriented. They want to share their stories with each other. They want to give each other advice. They want to be there for each other. You know, we have a discord on our Patreon a community and people from all over the world are there for each other. We have like a personal support channel and people are having a hard time. They talk and they support each other. And it's like mind blowing to me because they don't know each other in real life, you know, but they don't need to because we have this, you know, Pete and I are both queer and like the podcast, it's not that we focus on necessarily being marginalized, but I think just by way of having that be our life perspective has, accidentally but also i think maybe ac- down low per- like purposefully has brought a lot of other like queer and trans and marginalized listeners and knowing that we have that kind of inclusive community has created this really great experience on discord where it's like oh there's no advertising we don't have to deal with like the forces that are on twitter that are really like <laughs> doom and gloom yeah, yeah. So people can be themselves and they can like trust each other and they can kind of just throw something out there and know that they're not going to be received in bad faith. And it's so rare to feel that on the internet. Oof. Oof. That, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that's kind of, I felt like when I started this podcast, it was because, you know, uh, growing up, the Jurassic Park community that I saw wasn't necessarily the one that like I related to the most. So it felt like, oh, well, but I know. I know other people don't relate to that either. So what if we create our own space over here or we can all hang out and, you know, so I love that. I know. And I love all the see Jurassic right people. Like it's ex- from being on this episode I've met or this podcast, I've met so many cool dinosaur people that I'm friends with on Twitter and Instagram and who have become like, it's always Halloween listeners, because I do think dinosaurs and Halloween, I mean, dinosaurs are inherently frightening, you know? So like they just go with Halloween so well. And I love, you know, those blow up, dinosaur costumes that have just been around forever now those are just some of my favorite things when i see them in real life it just makes me laugh so hard (laughs) yeah it just it just adds a little bit of light to that you know instead of where's waldo it's where's dinosaur you know (laughs) absolutely um but the long way around is just saying thank you for always inspiring me and like helping me get it's always halloween off and going and now it's like it's become a huge thing, like a huge creature all of its own. And 
you know, we do celebrate Halloween all year round. So even if you're listening to this now on the 31st, you know, you get that Halloween hangover sometimes, you know, the first week of November is hard because all of a sudden people are like, okay, Christmas. But I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like just watching like all 13 Halloween movies in a row and I'm supposed to like pivot to Rudolph. I can't do that. It's whiplash. Yeah. And so. It, yeah. Use the first week of November to like ease. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to ease down from Halloween, but just, you know, if if you feel like it. Yeah. You, know, you can. I, I, I feel like I watch as much Halloween stuff in the first week of November. Truly. Oh, I, I keep it going. I don't start celebrating the C word until after Thanksgiving. So <laughs> and even then I like to do the, the creep mess and like study the interesting folklore creatures because Christmas is kind of scary, too. You know, so. If you out there listeners need to see a little bit of scariness all the time and explore it, it's always Halloween is for you. You can be creepy with this year round. You don't have to stop on November 1st. It's so great. And I was just trying to think of a way to sign up because all, all I kept wanting to be like, I'm the baby. And I'm like, we don't need to. We'll just fade out from here. <laughs> the store's <Doors> closed. Yeah. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.